Good morning. If you all would open up to Colossians chapter 3, it's going to be our text today. And as you're doing that, if you can go ahead and... Work. Eat. Sleep. Work. Work. Sleep. Work. Drive. Eat. Sleep. Work. Work. Play. Eat. Sleep. Work. Eat. Watch. Work. Drive. Watch. Eat. Work. Talk. 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 Work. Watch. Eat. Work. Sleep. Work. Sleep. Work. Sleep. Work. Sleep. Work. Sleep. Work. Watch. Play. Sleep. Eat. Work. Sleep. Eat. Work. Play. Eat. Work. Watch. Sleep. Work. Sleep. Work. Sleep. Work. Sleep. Work. Stop. go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity that we have to gather together so freely in this place, to be able to worship you, to spend time in fellowship and communion with you, and to be able to study your word. We pray that this would be an anointed and blessed time, that you would soften and prepare our hearts to hear from you by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word, and that we would be anointed and filled to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that we would be surrendered to the leading and guiding of your Holy Spirit this morning and that you would grant to me your words and not my own. We also continue to lift up Pastor Charlie and his wife, Ceci, and the team in Israel. Lord, that you would just set your angels about them, that you would guard them, that you would protect them, that you would bless their time there, and that you would bring them home safely. And we ask and pray all of these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So that video, I think most of us can relate to. We get so caught up in all the things that we have to do and and it just becomes routine and the routine eventually turns into a rut. We just continue to go through, go through, go through and it's the same old thing, same old thing. And I remember being a student both in high school and college and obviously before that, but, but before that you really enjoy school and then you get to high school and college and less and less you enjoy it. And then I remember being a teacher, and, and it was the same kind of thing, that, that there was this drive, this push, that you just had to get to that next break, you know, that you just had to get to the weekend, or you had to get to spring break, or Christmas break, or that four-day weekend because there was a holiday, or, or better yet, you could get to summer vacation. And it was just, there was always that, that light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. You, you just had to get to that one spot. And then I, I left teaching and, and I got a more regular hour job and you, you lose that. 
You know, it starts to get to, to this Monday through Friday, nine to five grind. And then literally, for many of us, it can become a grind. You know, you get up Monday and you, you just start that work week. They call them the Monday blues. And, and you just get started in that routine. And you get all the way to Friday and, and you almost don't look forward to Friday because Saturday is almost worse than the rest of the week because all of the things that you didn't get to Monday through Friday, you're trying to cram into one day. You know, some of it's fun, some of it's not fun. You know, the chores, fixing things around the house. Sometimes it's the fun things, spending time with the family, maybe chauffeuring the kids around to different practices and different things. But Saturday is just chock full of stuff. And then you get to Sunday, and obviously most of us come here on Sunday mornings. And so it, it's, it's a break, but it's not a full break because you're still getting up early. You're getting ready. You know, you're getting the family ready. You're getting to church on time, hopefully. Some of us, maybe. But you're getting to church, and, and, and then you get to the end of Sunday, and Sunday is almost like a dreaded day because you know that Monday is coming right around the corner. And then you start the whole routine all over again. And it, it just work, 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 work. And you, you get into that work, eat, sleep, and, and it almost feels as if that's all that's taking place in your life. And, and you just get so worn out. You get run down, and, and you just get caught up in the things that, that you're doing. And things are crazy worldwide. You know, you've got all of that going. But then just globally, throughout the world, you've also got all of these other things that are taking place. The world at large is almost constantly moving from one precarious position to another. We have worldwide tension across the board right now with discussions about global warming, nuclear arms proliferation, a push for all digital currency. There's a push right now, many of you know about it, some of you may not, to get rid of bills and coins and just to go completely digital. And for those of you that understand a little bit about Bible prophecy, that sets up a lot of things, especially when you talk about the mark of the beast and no one's going to be able to trade without it. But there's that push. There's militant Islamic terrorism and the constant drive by so many nations to wipe Israel off the face of the map. Here, just in the United States, we endured one of the most verbally bitter national elections in recent memory, and it's left a huge political divide. And politically speaking, that might not even be the worst. It could get way worse over the next four years. And I haven't even mentioned the social issues raging across this nation regarding health care, immigration, gender equality, sexual orientation, and gender identification. But then to zoom in even a little bit further and just focus on the evangelical church inside the U.S. We have pastors and teachers falsely claiming from pulpits that Bible prophecy is not important, that same-sex relationships are biblically acceptable, that sleeping with your partner before marriage is acceptable as long as you're committed, and even questioning the authority and validity of the Bible itself. And as if all of that wasn't enough, you have your own life and all of the, the rut, the grind, the routine that you've got to deal with. So who can blame us if we've gotten locked into a routine with the most common parts being work, eat, and sleep, right? I mean, I think we can relate to that. But God desires for so much more from and for us. In Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1, Paul's writing and he says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. 
And so this first thing here is he says, if then you were raised with Christ. Another way to put it is since you have now been raised with Christ, there needs to be something that takes place. Because you are different, you need to act different. Because you've been changed, you need to act like you're changed. If we are Christians, truly born-again children of God, we need to set our minds on Jesus and the things of heaven, and we need to reflect Jesus. We need to emulate Jesus, to imitate his life, to do the things that he did as we draw closer to him. It helps us to focus on him and his example to be able to focus on the things of heaven. David Guzik, in his commentary on Colossians, shares four very specific things that Jesus did following his resurrection, and he suggests that we should emulate those things now that we have died to ourselves. And the first thing is that after his resurrection, Jesus left the tomb. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 7, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so very clearly, very obviously, after he was resurrected, after he was brought back to life, he left the tomb. And it only makes sense, right? Why would you stay in the stench of death if you've been brought back to life? And so we need to emulate that in our lives. We don't live there anymore. We don't live in the same things that we used to live in. For most people... You've been saved from a lot of things. We've been saved from our past, from some of the things that that we would never do now that we are saved. Unfortunately, for some of us, we are supposed to have been saved from some of the things that we're still stuck in, some of the things that we still continue on in. Many people talk about their BC days, the things that happened before Christ, and they almost glorify it. We talk about it as, yeah, remember that time that we did that and remember all the cool things we used to do and the the people we used to hang out with and and the, the places we would go. And we almost have this reverence for it as if it was better back then. Remember the good old days. But were they really the good old days? You know, it would be like Jesus saying, you know what, heaven's great, but this tomb is pretty comfy. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, and, and yet we do that with our lives sometimes. We need to get up, and we need to leave the tomb. We need to be an example in everything we do, even the things that are not obviously spiritual. There are so many ways that Jesus desires to live through us each and every day, and most of them have little to do with coming to church. Most of them have little to do with coming to church. He desires for us to be an example at work, at school, at play, to be different from the world, to be different from the people around us. I can't tell you how many times I have heard the excuse used by non-believers that a Christian's life 
that they work with, that they know, that they, they're on some sports team with, or that's married into the family, whatever it is, that there's some Christian in their life that they know that acts way worse than they do. And if that's what a Christian is all about, then why should I change? Why should I try to give up my life? Why should I do all these things different when this guy says he's a Christian, but I'm a better person than he is? What a sad testament that is. What a sad testimony of that person's life who calls himself a Christian. And yet some of us have that same testimony in different circles. We need to be aware of that. We need to be different from the walking dead that we're surrounded by. The people that don't know Jesus Christ, that's what they are. They are walking around with a death sentence. They're literally dead to God. And most of them don't even recognize it. And if we are not any different than they are, then we're not doing anything to help them recognize how dead they are and how much they need Jesus. So we need to be that example. We need to be different from the world. The second thing that Jesus did after his resurrection is that he spent his remaining time being with and ministering to his disciples. In John chapter 21, verses 12 through 14, it says, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So this is the third time, and there were countless others, but this was the third time that Jesus had presented himself to his disciples and that he had spent time just ministering and fellowshipping with them, to spend time investing in their lives now that he had been transformed, now that he had been resurrected. And it's the same for us. In Luke chapter 24, you have this, this section that is most commonly referred to as the Emmaus Road. And there's these two men that are, are walking along and they're having this discussion. Their hearts are sorrowful. They're sad because they've just witnessed their, their king, Jesus, crucified. He was supposed to save them. He was supposed to do all of these things. They were all excited and then they saw him die and now they, they don't know what to do. They don't understand how this could have happened. All the things that he said, and yet then he died. So maybe it wasn't true. And yet, as they're walking along, Jesus comes and he walks with them. And beginning in the, the very beginning of the Old Testament, he begins to expound to them. He begins to teach them what was probably the greatest sermon ever. He teaches them all the way through the Old Testament and how the Old Testament was pointing to him, to Jesus, to everything that he was going to do here on the earth, but then that he would die, that he would be buried, but that he would be raised again to overcome the power of sin and death. And so he goes through and he's explaining this to them. He's ministering to them. And later on, they would say, after the whole experience is over, did not our hearts burn within us as he walked with us, as he taught us? Did not our heart burn within us? You know, that's what God desires for, for us to have with him, that our hearts would burn within us as we're spending time with him, but also that we would be able to impart him into other people's lives, that their hearts would burn for him. Then in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Luke is writing again, and he says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began, both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, 
being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So this is Jesus, okay? Let's, let's just reset the scene here. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who left heaven to come down to earth. He went through 33 years of living here on this earth as a human being, was tempted, was tested, was tried in all these different ways, yet remained completely perfect and blameless. Then his, his reward for that was that he was brutally beaten and crucified unto death. He was killed. And then he's resurrected. And what does he choose to do? Instead of immediately going back to heaven, which is what most of us would do, he spent the next 40 days, 40 days here on this wretched planet, sharing with those that, that were closest to him. He was ministering to those around him. And so we should be doing the same thing. We should be investing in other people's lives. We should live our lives to be with and to serve alongside and into the lives of each other. Do the people that we work with and hang out with even know where we stand spiritually? Like, is there something that they could pinpoint and look at us and say, you know what, there is something different about you. I can't tell what it is, but, but you're just a, a good person. To be able to, to have somebody say that and, and then to, to not self-righteously say, there's none good but God, but just to live that out, that there is none good but God, but Jesus is living through me. You know, yesterday I was, I was at the golf course and I had just finished a, a round of golf and, and there's this, this guy that's in one of the groups near where I play with and, and he and I just got off on the wrong foot. I don't know, I still to this day don't know how I offended him, but I did something I must have because he's always got this nasty look every time he sees me. He doesn't say hi to me, all these things. Like it, it's just, and it's something that I've actually been conscious of and, and really prayed about. And yesterday, just... It obviously wasn't random, it was God. But just out of the blue, we finished the round. It is the very last hole of the day. And there's somebody's golf club laying on the side of the, the green. And so I pick it up, take it inside. Everybody's, you know, tallying up their scorecards and stuff. And I, I just said, hey, is this anybody's? It turns out it was that guy's golf club. And so, so I hand it to him and he says, you know what, thank you. Thank you, you you're an honest man. And... I, I kid you not, like for me it gave me goosebumps because you don't understand the, the looks and the, the attitude that I've gotten from this guy. But something as simple as that, and it was God ordained. A simple, simple thing like that. And he went out of his way to thank me four more times before I left. I mean, what a simple thing, a, a simple change. And it was a God ordained event. And it was something that you know, I wasn't trying to be super spiritual. I wasn't trying to be some super Christian. I was just trying to, to do the right thing because that's what we're supposed to do. And yet God used that to open that door. Do the people around us really know where we stand spiritually? Is there something noticeably different about us? Family and friends especially need to be invested in as well, both spiritually and in, in regular physical means. We need to be investing in the lives, particularly of our children, for those of us that are parents. We need to be spending that time ministering to them, not getting just caught up in all the other stuff in this life, but to really spend time, now that we've been changed, trying to transform other people's lives by the power of Jesus Christ, by the power of his Holy Spirit. We need to be about our Father's business. 
The third thing that Jesus did after his resurrection is that he lived in supernatural power with the ability to do impossible things. And that's what it takes, supernatural power and ability to really impact somebody else's life. To really be able to minister as Jesus ministered, it takes supernatural ability. There are countless miracles and different things that Jesus did, but just two of the things that happened after he was resurrected in Luke 24, verses 30 through 31, these two men that had been walking with him on the Emmaus Road, it says, Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, he blessed, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Now this was not some spiritual apparition, and I think that God, in his infinite wisdom, made it very clear that this was a physical appearance of Jesus Christ, because he blessed the bread, and he broke it and gave it to them. So he was physically, literally there. Not as some people would like to tell you or make you believe that, well, it was just a, a, a ghostly apparition. It was just a, a spiritual image of him. No, he was physically there. He was physically there. He manifested himself to them, and then he vanished out of their sight. That's a miraculous thing. That's a supernatural thing, unless somebody here knows how to do that. I don't. I wish I could. There would be a lot of times that I wish I could just leave and go somewhere else. But that was a supernatural ability, a supernatural thing. In John 20, verses 26 through 31, there's this description of one of the times that the disciples were meeting, and Thomas had missed out in some of the other times that Jesus had appeared to his disciples. And so these guys are still there. It's after eight days, eight days after the crucifixion, there's still trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Again, this is Jesus, the guy that they'd been following for three years, and now he's gone. He died. What, what's supposed to happen now? And so they're, they're basically hiding in this room. The doors are closed. Everything's locked. And it says, after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. It's very important that, that we understand that he says the doors were shut. That means that there wasn't any other way for Jesus to come in, and he just appeared before them. That's supernatural. But then he says, peace to you, and he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. That's a supernatural thing that he had died, and he is showing him, physically appearing, and he tells him, touch me. Touch the marks so you can see that I'm real and that I am who I said I am. That's a supernatural thing. And for us, it, it also gives us a picture of understanding that, that there are marks sometimes that are associated with dying to ourselves. It doesn't mean, you know, the, the stigma. It's not the, the things that are, are showing up, the stigmata. But it means that there are things that happen in our lives that, that we lose when we crucify ourselves, right? I think all of us can attest to that. There are friendships, there are relationships, there are maybe job opportunities. There are all sorts of things that we have lost for the sake of Jesus Christ. And yet all of those things are worthless compared to the glory of God, right? I mean, that's, that's how we need to think about it. We need to flip that. You know, so many times we get caught up in what I had to give up. And, oh, man, if I wasn't a Christian or, oh, man, if I, if I didn't have to do the righteous thing or, oh, man, if I wasn't so convicted about this, I would do that. No, no, no. Flip that around. 
you know, praise God that he wants me to be a part of his family, that he wants me to spend time with him, that he wants to take me to his house. Praise God that he wants to do great and miraculous things in and through me. And that's the first miracle. That's the first supernatural thing that happens in us is that he produces righteousness in us. Like that's supernatural, right? That's not something that we have in and of ourselves. That is a supernatural event. That is a powerful, powerful thing. But God wants to continue to do great and miraculous things. He wants to do things that no one could take credit for. And you have to point to God and say it was him. You know, there are so many things that happen so, so far away from here. You know, you hear about Jesus appearing to people in visions and dreams, about, you know, the, the miraculous healings, about people being raised from the dead, about just ways that, that the Spirit's working in somebody's life. And sometimes some of the, the stories that you hear are just almost hard to believe because they're so supernatural. So outside of the ordinary. And yet, so many of them are true. Because God is still who he said he is. He's still almighty God. And he's giving his Holy Spirit to every child of his. And his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, just like all the parts of the triune God, is unchanging. That means it is the same Holy Spirit that was doing miraculous things in and through Jesus Christ, in and through the the disciples, the apostles, as you go through the book of Acts. That's the same Holy Spirit that wants to work in our lives and through our lives. It is the exact same Holy Spirit. He hasn't changed. So what's changed then that, that we're not seeing all those miraculous things happen? Or at least not as much, and at least not as much here in this country. I would suggest to you that it's because we have distanced ourselves in many ways from God. We've allowed so many other things to to crowd him out in our lives. We've allowed our focus to get knocked out of place. It's not that we're not focused. It's that we're not focused on the right things. But God wants to do supernatural things. He wants to do the impossible in and through us with the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. And the fourth thing that that Guzik highlighted about Jesus after his resurrection is that he looked forward to heaven. He spent 40 days doing supernatural things and, and ministering to his disciples, but he knew that soon enough he would be returning to heaven, and that was a joy for him. He was still looking for heaven. In Acts 1, verses 9 through 11, Now when Jesus had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. He knew where he was going. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand up gazing into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And they're not saying, Don't look to heaven. They're saying, don't neglect the ministry that you've been called to here on the earth while you look to heaven. That we have to do the things that God has called us to do. That we need to be about our Father's business. And we need to follow the example of Jesus Christ. We need to minister to those around us. We need to be filled, imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit. That we would do supernatural things for the kingdom of God while we look to heaven. Because our citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. Because that's where we ultimately want to be. We want to be in heaven. 
And if you don't want to be in heaven, there's something wrong with you. If you want to stick around here instead of going to heaven, there is something seriously wrong with you. There are some days that it's even stronger than others. We should always want to just be looking for the return, the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we would rapture us, take us to heaven with him. But there are some days that it's even more of a, just a desire. You know, whatever's going on, something terrible is about to happen or just happened, and you just, you just want Jesus to come right now. You know, I've shared before that there was a time in my life that, that I really had a struggle with that because there were things that I wanted to do here before I went. You know, I, I wanted to get married. I wanted to, to be a husband. I wanted to be a father. I wanted to see my children grow. But now, as the world continues to grow darker and darker, I just pray that God would come soon, that he would come soon, because of how awful things are getting sometimes. I pray for my kids. We should all be praying for, the, for those that, that are right on the cusp of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But we should look to heaven Coming back to Colossians chapter 3, Paul's description here also highlights the fact that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. It's not the left, it's not in front or behind or below, it's at the right hand of God, which is the position of power, of authority, of strength. Because all authority is God's, and he's granted all authority to his son, Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right before Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, it says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so there's a couple of things here. The first one is that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. That is an amen thing if there ever was one. You know, praise God that all authority is his. That he is in complete and total control. That no matter what is taking place, no matter how bleak the situation might seem, that God is still in complete and perfect control. And it is this same God who is in complete and perfect control who has promised to be with us always. He closes out this section in verse 20 by saying, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, even to the end of this life, he is with us. And he has promised to never leave us or forsake us. But in between there, there's also a very important point. And that is that he has sent them out and he is sending us out. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That we would go forth in that power, in that authority, not for ourselves, but for him for the glory of God, and that others would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He has sent us out. He's promised to empower us, to fill us with his Holy Spirit, and he's promised to never leave us or forsake us. He has promised to accomplish great and mighty things in and through us if we will only allow him. Death couldn't hold him down. Sin couldn't stop him. So what else could there possibly be to worry about? He is in complete and total control. He is sitting at the right hand of God. But also in Colossians 3.1, he talks about seeking those things that are above. Seek those things which are above where Christ is. So what does it mean to seek for something? To really seek for something? 
not just to casually look, but to really seek for something. How many of you have ever been in, a, in the middle of a conversation and, or watching a movie or where, wherever you are and, and there's some kind of random intriguing question that pops up in your mind or maybe in the discussion? Maybe it has to do, an obvious one is, who was the actor that played that guy in that movie? You know, and, and everybody's trying to figure it out because everybody can picture the guy, you know the movie, you can't remember the title, you can't remember the character, his, his name, you can't remember the actor, and it becomes this mad dash to Google to see who can get the answer first, right? And, and we're competitive, most of us, and so everybody's on their phone and they're trying to, to get to it, and, and if you're the first one to get it and you, you blurt it out, there's almost like this sense of fulfillment and accomplishment. It's so dumb, but it is so true. You know, we just feel like, I did something with my life today, you know, and it was nothing. But, but you sought that answer out. And it was this mad dash, this passionate rush to get it before anybody else could. And then you wanted to share it before anybody else knew it. And that's the same kind of intensity and passion that we're called to have about the things above. To seek out the things above. To really dig deep into the word of God. To have that intense focus and passion for knowledge and understanding when it comes to the word of God and to Jesus Christ. To seek is to really dig and dig and dig until you are completely satisfied and you have a solid understanding. And how long is it going to take for you to do that when it comes to Jesus and his word? The entire rest of your life. And even then, you're not going to complete it until you get to heaven. But that doesn't mean you stop trying. It just means that you want to dig and dig and dig further and further, faster and faster, so you can know as much as you possibly can while you're here on this earth, so that you can impact as many people as you possibly can, so that you can bring as many people as you possibly can with you to heaven. Right? That's the end goal. We already know. If you're a child of God this morning, you already know. Your citizenship is in heaven. You know where you're going after this life. But you also know that there are a lot of people in your life that don't know, or worse yet, that think they're going to heaven, but you know they're not. And so shouldn't you want to do everything possible to be as knowledgeable as possible, to be as available, to be used as possible, to bring them to heaven? Like there is no greater honor than to be able to bring someone else into the kingdom. That is such an awesome, awesome blessing. And we need to be taking advantage of that opportunity. And technology is one of the easiest things to, to look at, to focus on, when it comes to seeking and searching. Technology is a beautiful thing and a ghastly thing all at the same time. And information technology has come so far, even since I was a kid, how many of you guys remember, you've got mail? <laughs> like, that was an awesome thing, you know? There was even a movie about it. And I remember, I was still young, but I remember how great I would feel when I would log in and, and you'd get, you've got mail. And you felt special until you realized that it was like 100 messages and 99 of them were spam. And the other one was somebody trying to sell you something that you knew. And it was still spam, but you knew them. But, but you remember, you know, the beginnings of it and how, how long it would take 
back when it was dial-up. I remember, you know, wanting to get on the internet at night after I was supposed to be asleep, waiting for my parents to go to bed, and then, you know, having to, to cover the computer with a blanket because the, the modem was so loud as it would dial out. Beep, beep. And then you get the shh. And you get all the way through, or you'd get the disconnect or the busy signal. Those were the worst. And then you still had to wait. And then you finally get in, and then you download a picture, and it's like one line at a time, and you're waiting for it. I mean, you, nowadays, to download a picture, if it takes longer than two seconds, you're frustrated. <laughs> think about it. It, take, it used to take longer to get one picture than it does to download movies now. And, and we get frustrated about that. But information technology has come so far. And so how do we use this amazing technology Facebook, Pinterest, social media, Snapchat, video games, all of these things that are just time suckers. And it's not that those things are evil in and of themselves, because most of them aren't. None of those things are evil innately, but they can become evil when they take away our focus from where it's supposed to be. It doesn't mean you can't get on Facebook. It doesn't mean you can't pin things on different boards on Pinterest. It doesn't mean you can't use your phone to play games. But where is the focus of your life? Has your focus shifted from the things above to whatever it is that's down here? Has that become the focus, the driving force in our lives? You know, this week, it was a just, I guess you would literally call it a, another come-to-Jesus moment in my life. You know, every time that I get up to to give a Bible study, to give a devotional, a sermon, to, to lead worship. It is a humbling experience because I know me, I know my life, and I know the things that I do that prevent me from being as close to God as I could be. I'm not saying that, that I'm doing all these awful things, but I'm saying that my life is not 24-7 every waking moment doing something, spending time with God. And I think you guys can relate to that. And it is a convicting thing, especially when I start to think about how much time I spend doing all of these other things, many of which are insignificant, not just in the, the grand scheme of eternal life, but even insignificant in, in this life. And how much time gets sucked out of my day doing all of these things. And so I, I felt convicted and, and I made a decision to delete an app. It was a game. And this game, it started, the, the draw or the pull of this game was, you know, it's only three-minute spurts. You know, it's a small little deal, and you play this game, and it's just a nice time killer when you're at the doctor's office or you're waiting in line somewhere, you're waiting to pick up your kids, whatever it is. You know, you're just trying to kill a couple of minutes. The problem is that it started to kill more than just the time I was trying to kill. It started to really suck time out of my life. And so I deleted the app, and the first day it was like a crack addict who didn't have it and was going through withdrawals. You know, I, I, it was almost as if my, my hand would shake when I would pick up my phone because I couldn't find the app, you know, and I just, you know, I wanted to download it again. Praise be to God, I did not, and I, and I was able to make it through. And then by the second or third day, it really wasn't an issue anymore. It, was, it wasn't something that I even sorely missed. And I even caught myself thinking as I was doing something else, why didn't I have time to do this before? 
I was like, well, because you were playing that stupid game, dummy. Like, you just deleted it. How are you asking this question right after you just finished? But, but it made an immediate difference in my life. It made an immediate difference for me in this one small instance in my spiritual life. There was more time to be able to devote to, to things that, that were going to have some kind of a lasting impact. Because this was not just taking away from my spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ, but it was also starting to hinder in, in small ways, but it was starting to hinder my relationship with my wife because it was taking time that I could have been using to spend with her playing on my phone. It was taking time away from spending that with my kids. It was taking time away from this health kick that I'm on for a week and a half. And that's an awesome thing for me right now, okay? So don't laugh too hard. A week and a half is a big deal. Once you get past seven days, like that's a, it's a streak, okay? We're trying to make this a life-lasting thing. But it was taking away from all these other things. And, and you know, you know the things in your life that, that take up too much time. And I'm not here to tell you which things those are or which things you need to get rid of, what you have to cut out of your life. That's between you and God. But take the time. If God is trying to tell you about something that he wants to remove, take the time to really pray about it and see why he wants to remove it and what he wants to replace it with. Because God just doesn't want to take stuff away. Like, we got to get out of that mentality. All right, sometimes we get to this place where, well, God just wants to take that out of my life. Well, okay, yes, he does. But why does he want to take it out of your life? Well, because God doesn't want me to have fun. No, that's not it. That's never the case. It's because God wants to replace it with something better. It might not be in kind. You know, just because God's asking me to delete that game doesn't mean he's going to give me a better game. Like, that's not, that's not the reality of this. And sometimes we, we think that, right? Well, you know, I had to, I lost that job, so God's going to give me a better job. You know, and... Well, no, maybe God just wanted to take you out of that job to give you a different job. Maybe it's the same kind of job. Maybe it's a, a lesser job in your mind or in the eyes of the world. But it's better for you in what the grand scheme of what God wants to do in and through your life. We need to start being consciously aware of what God is trying to tell us and what God is trying to do in our lives and through our lives. And all of these things can get in the way if, if we do, are not careful. We need to be seeking out the things that are above. The defining factor in the beauty and the horror of technology, just like the defining factor in the beauty or horror of so many other things in our lives, is how much it has replaced the importance. What kind of importance we give to it. You know, social media in and of itself is not evil. It's not. Your smartphone, it's an amazing gift. It is an amazing tool. You know, I love to listen to Bible, sermon, Bible sermons, Bible studies. For me, I, I do read and I, I like commentaries. But for me, I, I feel like I learn so much more listening to Bible studies sometimes. And so I used to get cassette tapes when I was a kid. You know, we had this huge cassette library. And then, you know, we upgraded. We got CDs. And that was great because you could put more. Then you went to MP3 and you could put them all on that one CD. Then you got to where you could download them. Now I don't even have to download them and I don't even have to pay for most of them. There's free apps available on your smartphone that you can download. There are more Bible studies on my phone right now than I could probably ever listen to in my entire life. And they were all free. That is amazing. 
the technology, the, the ways that we can use it for good in our lives and to impact others. There are a ton of great, great resources out there for us as Christians. You know, one of the, the things that I use a lot and I recommend to everybody who asks is blueletterbible.org. Blueletterbible.org. If you have never checked it out, I would challenge you guys to check it out. You know, if you have a question and you're, you know what, I, I was reading through this and I just, I got, I was trying to read through the Bible and I got confused and I didn't understand it. I didn't know who to ask and, and so I just quit reading. Well, next time you get into a situation like that, check out blueletterbible.org. There's a bunch of commentaries in both visual so you can read it and audio so you can listen to it and you can allow God to speak to you through those things that you didn't understand to, to explain them to you. It's amazing. I have a Bible app on my computer that is literally, it costs thousands of dollars. And I spend more time on Blue Letter Bible than I do in that app because it is that awesome. And then there's tons of other apps. You can get the Bible on your phone. You can get different apps that will help you with a reading plan on your phone. We have an app here ourselves, Calvary Chapel of El Paso. You can download that app and you can actually check in and you can see and listen to the sermons that, that are given here. There are so many things that we can do with technology that are good. And yet there are so many things that we can do with technology that are bad. You know, an obvious one is pornography. Like, that's out there. It, it, everywhere you look, pornography is out there on the Internet. You can also have access to a ton of illegal things. Ill illegal and illicit things are readily available on the Internet. There's a lot of bad, there's a lot of good. And what, what determines whether that information technology, whether that smartphone, that computer, that tablet, whatever it is, what determines if that is good or evil in your life is how you use it. As Christians, we navigate through this life with a vastly different perspective than those whose understanding is still darkened, and that should help us as we navigate through using all of the tools that God has provided for us. Information technology is just one of them. God has given every single one of us gifts and abilities. They're differing, but God has blessed each and every one of us. And now the way that we use those things determines if it's good or bad. God didn't give you a gift that is designed to get you to stray from him. I mean, just think about that. Why would God do that? Why would God, who loves you and whose greatest desire for your life is that you would draw closer to him, give you a gift that its only possible use would be to steer you away from him. And yet there are many gifts and abilities that we use, but that we place too much of an emphasis or importance upon that can pull us away from him. And so it becomes incumbent on us to be filled, to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. It comes back to one of the things that we talked about, that after Jesus was resurrected, what did he do? He performed supernatural things. That's a supernatural thing. To make the right choice all the time, that is a supernatural thing. There's none of us that could do that in and of ourselves. It is a supernatural thing, and it requires us setting our minds on godly things all the time to be focused on those things. In Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11, Paul's writing, and he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That means the focus. Not that they, they just kind of casually paid attention, but that their focus, their main drive in life was the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit do the same thing for the things of the Spirit. 
For to be carnally minded is death. If your main focus, your main driving force is the things here on this earth, you are dead spiritually. You are dead. But he says to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It's not just life because that, that's great in and of itself, but peace, life and peace. How awesome is that? Like that's what we really want. That's really what we're searching for, just to, to live a full, abundant, joyful, peace-filled life. And that's what God desires to give us. It doesn't mean that it's free from all harm. It doesn't mean it's free from trials and tribulations. But it means that there is an overwhelming and enduring peace because there is an overwhelming and enduring everlasting life. Because we are filled with the Spirit. Because the carnal mind in verse 7 is enmity against God. It's at war with God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. It cannot be subject to God. If you are focused on the things of this life more so than the things above, than the things of God, you cannot please God. Plain and simple, that's what he's saying here. If you are more focused here on the earth than you are on the things of heaven, if that is more important to you, you cannot please God in anything that you do. You cannot please God. So then, in verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead. The body is still dead. You are dying. From the moment you were born, you are dying. The body is still dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Because of righteousness. It's very important that we catch that. He didn't just say the spirit is life, period, the end. He said the spirit is life because of righteousness. And righteousness, we just talked about, is a supernatural thing. That is not something that you can achieve and attain on your own for yourself. It is a supernatural thing. It requires the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it requires you surrendering your own will that you would be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. But if the Spirit, in verse 11, of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And I love the way that Paul writes, because Paul really likes to emphasize points. In this one verse, he emphasizes so strongly the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He says in verse 11, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the Spirit then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through what? Through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you get the main idea there? That the spirit is in you. We talked about it. It's the same Holy Spirit. He hasn't changed. The same Holy Spirit that was doing amazing and miraculous things back during the time of Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that is at work in and through us. We just have to be willing to be used. We have to be focused on the things above and not bogged down in the things on the earth. As Paul is writing to the church in Colossae in, in Colossians chapter 3, he's summarizing the same idea in verse 2 when he says, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. To be focused on the things above. Not to neglect the things down here, but that our primary focus is on the things above. We all still have earthly roles and responsibilities that God has placed in our lives. 
If God has blessed you with a family, if God has blessed you with a job, whatever it is that God has placed in your life, those are things that are blessings from him, and he does not want you to neglect them. But he does not want you to prioritize them over himself. He has blessed us with these things. As one Bible commentator put it, earthly things are not all evil, but some of them are. Even things harmless in themselves can become harmful if permitted to take the place that should be reserved for the things above. Anything in your life can become evil if you allow it to take the place, the importance, the focus, away from God where it's supposed to be. We already discussed technology, earthly but not evil in and of itself. But what are some of the other earthly things that have the potential to be either evil or good in our lives? Some of the obvious first ones would be family and friends. God doesn't desire for you to neglect people. He wants you to be involved in other people's lives, but not at the expense of your relationship with him. What about work and wealth? You know, there's that constant keeping up with the Joneses. They're moving on up. They're, they're trying to, to keep pace with everybody else. The covetousness is really what it is. In Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 15, it says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. It's pretty clear. Like he didn't leave a gray area. He didn't leave a loophole or an out. He said that one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. That means that there is something so much more important. And we know what that is. It's living a life that reflects Jesus. But he goes on there in verse 16. He says, Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And is not rich toward God. This is not to say that you don't worry about your retirement. It's not to say that, that you, you don't save. Because those are important things. You need to try to be prepared. You need to do what you can to be prepared. But if all of the things that you're accumulating, you're hoarding and you're just using for you and not for God, then you fall into this exact parable. And it's not just talking about money. Like, that's part of it. But it's talking about you. God doesn't just want your money. He doesn't just want your, your stuff. He wants you. He wants your time. He wants your abilities, your skills. He wants you. We don't talk a, a ton here about tithing and offering, about giving, about money. And it's intentional. Because that's not our, our primary goal here. That's not our focus. Our focus is to, to minister to you and to trust that God's going to do what God's going to do as it comes to financial stuff. If you guys ever have questions about it, 
We'll answer those questions, but it's not a, 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 a point of emphasis here. The Bible is pretty clear. You do what the Bible says. You and God have it out about what that means to you. And who are we to get in the way of that? That's between you and God. But I will tell you that God does want you to be rich toward him. And it's not just, again, with the money. It's with your time. He wants you to be using what he has given to you. You know, it's an interesting rhetorical question that God is asking here in this parable when he says, whose will those things be which you have provided? Because the reality is that God's the one that provided. It's not this man that provided. Everything that you have, everything that I have, all of it is a gift and a blessing from God, and it is still God's. God retains the rights to all of it. He's just letting you borrow it. That's the best way that we could think about all of the things that we have in our lives, even our families. All of that is still God's. He's just allowing us to be stewards over those things. The gifts and the abilities, the things that you've been practicing and refining over your life, those are still not your own. Those are still God's, and they need to be used for God's glory. The money, the wealth, the material possessions, it's still God's. You need to be using those things for the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that you have to sell everything and give everything away so that you can give it to the poor and the needy and live poor and needy yourself. No, you can still enjoy the things in this world. But you also need to be rich towards God. And you need to understand that the importance of God trumps everything else in your life. God is way more important than that new car, that new house, than the, the, the sports leagues every night of the week. Whatever it is, that's just a small, small area of all the different things that could get in the way. But God wants you. He wants more than just money. He wants you. God's got enough money. And if he, if he ever needed more, if God can appear in the midst of a locked room, I'm pretty sure God can make a million dollars pop up wherever he needed it. Right? God's not overly concerned about your money. But God is overly concerned about you. He wants you. He wants to use you. He wants to work in you and through you. There's so many other things, and, and we'll just briefly talk about a couple of them. Knowledge, the pursuit of knowledge, sometimes that can get in the way. That can become more important in our lives than getting to know God. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 about some of these people, and he says that they, their foolish hearts have been darkened. They have this, this pursuit of knowledge and they just want it, knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. And it, it makes them more lost because they're not searching for the right things. Maybe it's recreation. God wants us to enjoy the life that he's given to us. But again, not at the expense of our relationship with him. There's a time and a place. There's a season for everything. And so you need to learn that balance. And the only way that you can have the perfect balance is, again, if you are being led and guided by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes even ministry can get in the way. Sometimes the things that you are doing for the Lord can become more important in your life or more prioritized than your relationship with God, and that's not his desire. His desire, again, is you. He wants you. And so that leads us to the, the very end of this section that we're reading in three, Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4. It says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He says, for you died. Really let that sink in. You died. 
your own will, your own desires, your own fleshly lusts, put those things to death. Let that die. Leave that in the tomb. Get up and get out of the tomb. He says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then he says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Is that something that we can truly say? We talked about being good stewards of the things that God has allowed us to, to be stewards over. And in the midst of all of this stuff, all the things that we started with that we talked about at the very beginning, in the midst of all of it, can we honestly say that Christ is our life? Is he really what we can describe to others as being the best thing that has ever happened to us? Is he our life? The reality is that every single person is always focused. Even the people that say they have, have trouble focusing, you, you may have trouble focusing on the right things or staying focused on the right things, but nobody has trouble focusing. Because even when you lose track, you're focused on whatever it is that you lost track on. So the problem is not staying focused. It's staying focused on the right things. You've heard of music junkies, tech junkies, sports junkies, somebody that's, that's all about that. They always have the latest fashion, or they always have the latest technology, or they always know what's going on in every sport known to man, or they know every musical artist that is current and popular. What about Jesus junkies? I mean, that would be great for me if above all of the other things that people ever thought of me, that they thought of me as a Jesus junkie. Some people would think that Jesus junkie, Jesus freak, holy roller, that these things are insults, but you know, that's a great thing. Like if somebody really thinks that about you, isn't that a good thing? That should be a good thing. It shouldn't be an embarrassing thing. You know, I remember being in school and, and hating to let people know that I was smart because it was, it was almost uncomfortable. And people, oh, well, he's a teacher's pet. Or, oh, well, he knows all the right answers. And I would pretend to not know things. I, I kid you not. I was a fairly good student in school, and I tried to just play it off as being as clueless as possible because it was just awkward for me. It was uncomfortable. I hated it. You know, when we had a, an assembly my senior year in high school and they, they announced the, the top five kids in the class and my name was among them, there was an audible gasp. Nobody could believe because I, it just, it was awkward. It was an insult to me when people would say, wow, you're so smart. There was a time in my life where I felt that way about being a Christian. Wow, you're so holy. And it felt bad for people to say that. How wrong I was. How far off I was. That now I would crave that. That would be so amazing for people even in the world to look at, at us and to say, you are just too good. You are too holy or you're too righteous. Or you're too much like Jesus. As if that were even possible. Wouldn't that be awesome? If that was the example, if that was a testimony of the church in the world today. To bring it a little bit closer, wouldn't that be awesome if, if everyone could say, every person that I've ever met that attends Calvary Chapel of El Paso just really loves Jesus, and you can see it in their lives. What a testimony that would be. We'd probably start making bumper stickers. We, we don't make them because I've seen the way you drive. And I don't want people to know where you come from. <laughs> well, what a testimony we could have. What an opportunity we have to live as 
to live is Christ and to die is gain. To shift the focus from here to there and to continually do that as much as possible. It means having a renewed focus constantly. For some of us, that means constantly. For some of us, that might mean every five minutes. For some of us, maybe we're a little bit better at it. and It might be every hour. It might be every day or every week. But whatever it is for you, whatever it takes to keep you on the right track, filled with the Holy Spirit, led and guided by the Holy Spirit, walking in righteousness, doing supernatural things for the kingdom of God, do it. Whatever it takes, however often that might be. And so as we wrap it up here this morning, there are four points that I want to leave you with. The first one is that we have a great example to follow, and his name is Jesus. We have a great example. God didn't just say, go figure it out. He said, go be like my son. We have a great example. His name is Jesus. The second one is that we need to seek the things of God passionately and consistently. We need to seek it out. We need to search it out. We need to be passionate about it. It has to be something that drives us, that we want to do, that our hearts burn within us as we do it. But it also has to be consistent. It's not enough to just be passionate about it once a week or once in a blue moon. It's also not enough to just make it routine and that it's consistent, but there's no passion. It needs to be both. You have to be passionate and consistent about seeking the things of God in your life. The third thing is that we need to set our priorities in a God-pleasing way. God has blessed all of us with responsibilities, and they are a blessing. It's not a curse. The responsibilities that you have been given in your life, they are a blessing. We need to learn to look at them that way but we also need to prioritize them correctly. And the only way that we can do that is what? To surrender to the Holy Spirit, to his leading and guiding. And then the last thing is that we need to keep refocusing our lives on God and his desires as often as necessary. As often as necessary. Like I said, if it's every five minutes, if it's more than that, whatever it takes. And there are times that it is going to be more than that. There are times that, that I can... I can tell you honestly from my own life where I will be sitting through a Bible study or I'm going through a time of worship. Maybe I'm even leading worship and the enemy just starts to pound on you. You know, it's just thoughts. It's, it's uh, distractions. You know, it was interesting as we were going through this first service, we got to write about this area and then all of a sudden some random video started playing in the middle of the, the service. That, that's a spiritual attack. Like, that's a little fiery dart trying to knock you off of where you're supposed to be, knock your focus out of where it's supposed to be. It happens to all of us. But we need to be faithful to get that renewed focus, to get back on track, and not to wait until the next time that you have six hours so that you can spend praying and fasting. No, if, when you get those moments, those, those hours or days that you can do that, Take advantage of them. God's going to do amazing things during that time in your life. He's going to speak to you. But also, take the moments. As soon as you see, you recognize that you are not focused where you need to be, take the moment and get back on track. Just ask God to fill you to overflowing with this Holy Spirit. And he is more than faithful. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, first and foremost, for who you are. We thank you for the promises contained in your word, for the, the responsibilities and the challenges that you give to us. And we thank you that you don't leave us by ourselves to accomplish these things. We thank you this morning that you have given us the gift of eternal life 
through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you have given us the gift of your Holy Spirit, that we would be empowered to do amazing supernatural things, not the least of which is accomplishing righteousness in our lives. I pray this morning for each one of our hearts here that that you would continue to give us a renewed focus whenever is necessary, that we would be reminded of our need to be focused upon you and the things above, to get beyond the rut, to get beyond the routine, but to be focused upon you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and understanding, that you would give us discernment in our lives, that we would be able to truly be led and guided by your Holy Spirit. That if there are things that we're holding on to, things that we have failed to surrender, areas in our lives that we have chosen to make more important than you, I pray, Lord, that that you would reveal those things, point them out, and have your hand heavy upon our heart this morning. I pray, Father, that you would continue to work in each one of us and that you would send us out into the world, empower us, fill us with your spirit, and use us in a great and mighty way for your kingdom, for your glory. And we ask and pray all of these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.